Join me on my adventure. I'm ready to go. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Seth. And I'm Zach. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. Yep, we are. That's us. <laughs> that's right. And that that's is, right. That's right. And this is our 29th episode. That's right. One from 30. 30 is coming up. 30 is exciting. 30 that is exciting. Is, that is, in fact, 30 weeks of classic gaming brothers that's a lot of weeks of classic gaming brothers that is a lot of weeks of classic gaming brothers and we are closer to 52 than we are to zero wow yeah right if yeah, math, almost, uh, if math almost, uh, serves. almost a year of classic gaming brothers that's true almost a year of classic gaming brothers or uh, three days worth of listening non-stop excellent i'm sure someone out there will do it no <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that that's, uh, no, no one will. Anyway. Well, uh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> um, what have uh, you been recently been playing, Zachary? Well, I picked up a Switch Lite not too long ago, and I've been enjoying that, but uh, I didn't pick up any games with it. I just kind of got the, the base model. And uh, my, my girlfriend lent me a copy of Breath of the Wild, so I've been playing that. I've been doing some exploring around the land of Hyrule, and... Uh, fighting moblins and planning to stop ganon from being evil it's been a fun time yeah he's he's always very evil he is very evil he's a big evil smoke cloud in this one it looks like yeah it's been a fun time I, i'm fairly far along in it i've i don't know how many hours i have into it but i'm part of the main quest is you have to go to these they're called divine beasts they're these big mechs essentially that you have to uh board and they kind of act as the temples of the game so um there are these kind of mini temples throughout the game that are shrines and then the the divine beasts are kind of the major temples and i'm at uh, the there's four of them i'm at the third one right now or i'm at a third one you can take them in any order that you'd like the game is completely open world which is wonderful reportedly you can actually if you if there's a way of like starting off the game and just sprinting to the end of the game and people have done it before where they've they've actually beat the game within the first like half an hour <laughs> um because it's it is open world you can tackle the last boss at the beginning of the game if you feel like it um it's not recommended because uh, <laughs> it's going to be pretty hard but uh yeah no i'm, I'm enjoying it so far i'm i'm i it, it's a very addicting game yeah i i i enjoyed the time that i've played with it um I actually had a coworker who was obsessed with it, and uh, she had, I want to say, somewhere close to over a thousand hours logged into the game. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, she was going for uh, 100% completion, so finding wow. everything and doing everything. Yeah, she was, she really enjoyed Breath of the Wild. Uh, in fact, I had a Breath of the Wild sweatshirt that I got from PAX one year, and as a parting gift when I left the company, I gave it to her. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. I know. I am sometimes magnanimous. <laughs> so, uh, Seth, what have you been playing recently? 
Uh, so recently, I have been reliving my childhood and playing Dark Zone Shattered Lands since Ooh. we talked about it. In fact, I decided to play the thing that I said that I was going to play and play a group consisting entirely of half giant fighters. Excellent. They they are it's a it's a great adventure that maybe I'll one day regale fully of their story, um, led by more bad the terrible and his band of adventurers of which they are it's like two other like fantasy names and then rick (laughs) (laughs) um it's like more bad the terrible uh i'm i'm really honestly just blanking on the other silly names i'll remember them shortly but yes and then rick they are all half giant fighters so they are half human and half giant I got to the final boss, and the final boss is extremely tar- hard. And I've been um, playing the final boss uh, for a while because it's extremely difficult, even if you have the maximum level. Since the game, your the maximum level you can get to is nine, and the easy guys in the fight against the final boss are level twelve. So, ah, so uh... it's. It's hard mode. A little misbalanced, yeah. Yeah, even on the easy setting, it is an extremely difficult fight. So we'll see. Um, my objective is then once after I beat the Dark Sun Shattered Lands, I will take Morbab, the Horrible, and Rick, and the other two. I'm still blanking out their names. I'm gonna, <laughs> if I remember them in the episode, I may shout them out. Um, and I'll be going into the Dark Sun, the Wake of the Ravager, which is mm-hmm. the sequel, which will be very exciting for me to play because I've never played it. <laughs> so I played Shattered Lands a lot. Yeah, right. So I was actually able to beat pretty much a majority of Shattered Lands without even referencing any sort of guide or like I could just do most of it from memory. Yeah. Which was exciting to know that I still have that knowledge tucked away. Uh, <laughs> useful. But, uh, yeah, useful. In, in the event that I get on Jeopardy and need to know uh, how to get out of Dagler's cave, I can answer that question. Um, or even who is Dagler? <laughs> um, but, yeah, so it's a, it's, a fun, it's a fun game. So I'm excited about uh, trying to beat it. It does still hold up. I mean, I I enjoyed it. It's still got uh, it's got average graphics, and I mean, you know what's going on in the screen. Uh, it is a hard game. Yeah. Um, it, most of it was actually pretty easy for me because I was playing as four f- half giant fighters, but uh, there were times that were difficult. Rick uh, had spent the entirety of the game blind because uh, he got blind at the beginning of the game, and there was no cure. If I had a cleric, I would have been able to cure it, but I didn't because I had four fighters. So Rick just spent the entire game blind. But yeah, so that's what I've been uh, recently been playing. And well, that's exciting. Yeah, I, and it does not segue nicely into our our uh, topic of the. I mean, I well, guess it was a game of my childhood. It was a game of your childhood, and also it came out in around the time these games were coming out that we're talking that's about. True. That's true. Dark Sun was 93, and uh, the company we are talking about today was founded in 92. So there we go. Look at that. Look at that. The 90s was a great time for gaming. The 90s was the uh, golden age of of PC games, we could say. Yes. I think so. So that is our segue, I guess, into today's topic, which is humongous entertainment, which was a 
very uh, uh big big com- <laughs> a memory for very big name in uh, uh seth in my childhood seth what are some of your memories of the humongous games so um, humongous entertainment for me uh my memories really stemmed back to um uh, two different characters well actually three different characters to be fair um and they were putt putt pajama sam and spy fox putt putt was a a car with eyes we talked about him many many weeks ago we talked about him in episode zero and oh, i don't yeah. think we've have visited putt putt have we we might have visited him i putt putt is anyway we we talked about him in our childhood memories. Uh, so if you've been a dedicated listener, uh, then we, we this episode will have some more detail on our on those characters from our childhood. But yes, so we owned a few games. We owned uh, I remember going to the moon with Putt Putt. Yeah, and I remember saving a zoo. Putt Putt saves the zoo. And did we have going joining the parade? Yeah, I think we did. Yeah, but we got that one. I think. <laughs> Per per our usual way of collecting and playing video games, we got the first Puppet game probably last. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Cause yeah I think I, I think we had uh, we had Puppet uh, goes to the moon, Puppet saves the zoo, Puppet travels through time, and then oh yeah, we did have Puppet travels through time, yeah. and Pup- we had the Pup- dog travels one. through time. <laughs> yeah, then, nobody wants to hear that one. <laughs> and then uh, and then we uh, and then it ended with, uh, I think the last game we ended up getting was the very first Putt-Putt game and the first Humongous game, Putt-Putt we, the Zoo. We also had the, the Balloonorama. The yeah, the Balloonorama. Yeah, yeah, where yeah. You, it's, it was like Which, a Not game. a Putt-Putt game. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then, uh, so that that main character of the Putt-Putt games, and, we'll, we'll, and later we'll talk about the games kind of specifically, but he's a, he's a purple car. And uh, that's kind of how my memories come through watching. I, I, I think I played some of it, but I was at that weird age where I think most of them we got for Zach or... Yeah. But they were fun. I enjoyed them. Um, and then we had uh, Pajama Sam, uh, where we had no need to hide when it's dark outside. Yes. And I think we eventually got the Thundering and Lightning Aren't yeah. So Scary number two. And that he, that you stars a like a blue child, is I think that's the only way to describe him. His name is Pajama Sam, and he is a a he's blue. His hue is blue, and he is a child who is in pajamas. Yeah, uh, and generally takes place in like uh, like a dream setting. Kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, his he, parents like, are always saying goodnight. Yeah, he travels to like imaginary worlds that are like like what a child would imagine where lightning and thunder comes from or where what where where, where the closet leads to in the dark or sort of thing, right. you know. And and then finally so there there were a number of humongous entertainment characters and maybe Zachary has some different thoughts on his memories, but the last one that really I have distinct memories for is Spy Fox. And the reason is so Spy Fox was, uh, for all the humongous entertainment characters, Spy Fox was probably the coolest one. Yeah. And so he was like a James Bond fox, and we never got any of them, any of the Spy Fox games. We never owned any of them. And if we did, it was much... We we owned one of them, but I think it was by that time, I don't think you were... Re- I think you were like finishing off high school, and I was still in yeah. elementary school. 
So, but I always wanted the Spy Fox games because they always seemed cooler than the Putt Putt and the Pajama Sam games. Yeah. These games ran from about 92 to 2001. Yeah. So, so yeah, I would probably, depending on which Spy Fox we may have, I may have been entering high school or depending on when we bought it, I could have been graduating. I mean, it's, we were very slow for buying video <laughs> games. But I always had like... I always wanted the Spy Fox games uh, because every humongous game had demos of the other games. Yes. Yeah, I remember that. So we played like Freddy Fish or Pajama Sam, but you'd only get to play like one or two levels and then it was the demo was over. Right. Yeah. I got to play some of the Spy Fox stuff. and I knew it was kind of a cool game, but we never got it. We never actually owned any Freddy Fish, which I think is funny because that's the one when I talk to my friends about humongous games, you know, I'll mention Putt Putt and I'll mention Pajama Sam, but they won't know what I'm talking about. And then I'll be like, oh, Freddy Fish. And they'll be like, oh, I loved Freddy Fish. I played all Freddy Fish. There's a lot. of. I guess we were just the weird ones. We had all the brands that no one cared about and everyone yeah. else had freddy fish just pretty much how things are with our house what about you what if um what are your memories of humongous entertainment all of the games that seth mentioned are games i remember really clearly um it was a point in my life when i was growing up and kind of getting to understand how computers worked and how video games kind of function in general kind of the early days of, of playing those type of games um and and the humongous games were really my adventure games the the games that i got to experience as adventure games because they were built on it and we'll talk about it a bit more they were built on an adventure engine called scum mm-hmm. and that's what i remembered was they they felt like adventure games to me in fact i think the first time i ever saw seth play dragon sphere i probably compared it to putt putt because it looked like putt putt to me and i played putt putt first it's a completely valid comparison too yeah I and mean, they're very similar type games and and that's what they were they were they were adventure games the the b- biggest difference was that pup putt and pajama sam and uh, fatty bear was another game that we we had um i think it actually came on like a, a disc or came in on like a pack with one of the pup putt games and all these games play a lot like the especially the lucas art style adventure games but the difference being they don't use text for interaction between objects so whereas in a game like maniac mansion or or some of the other lucas arts games like uh secret of monkey island where the the bottom section of the screen has all the text commands that you can use Putt had a inventory screen where i remember the way you interacted with objects was you dragged the object from your inventory and you clicked it on top of something to see if it would interact and if it did interact you got probably like a quick cutscene or something like that if it didn't interact it would probably just make a noise sometimes the other fun thing about all the humongous games is they were filled with like weird easter eggs it really actively encouraged you to just click around one of my favorite memories was i remember playing Putt goes to the moon and in in Putt goes to the moon he shows up at a fireworks factory and my favorite thing to do before I got to the moon was build fireworks, which you could do by clicking a bunch of different buttons and it would build fireworks and it would launch them. Now, when I was playing this game on this particular occasion, I had played this game many, many times. So I've done this exact sequence of events many, many times. But on this particular occasion, I was playing this game 
and I stepped away from the computer for a little bit, and I came back to find our father playing Papa, and he was already on the moon, and he, I hadn't had a chance to build the fireworks yet, and I was very grumpy. <laughs> yes, I think you've told us that story. Probably I have. I probably mentioned that in the episode zero. Yeah, uh, but yeah, that's my that's one of my clearest memories of of Papa is that happening. But yeah, they're they're all great games. I I they get more advanced as you play along. I mean, it goes from Papa joining the parade to Putt like traveling through time and space and solving True. paradoxes you know yeah. uh he, he gets a he gets a little uh he, then he joins he gets the a little circus. more complex and then he joins the circus you know he just ends it off on a, on a high note <laughs> I, I, I i was always disappointed with um the balloonorama game because it's not an adventure game no it's, it's like, like a an, clone of breakout it's a weird mini game but there's no story to go with it no it, yeah you're just from what I remember, you're like fly. It's like you're flying with balloons, and you have to catch things, or the dog is there. So it actually functions uh, like a clone of Breakout Balloonorama. Uh, so Putt would act as the paddle, and Pep, his dog, acts as the ball, and you're popping balloons that oh, that's are right. on the screen in kind of a pattern shape. So it's pretty much just a Breakout clone. It was a weird. It was a very weird game. As Seth was talking about Spy Fox, um, the one thing I remember from Spy Fox, which I, I, I think is funny, is that I played one of the demos for one of the Spy Fox games after I had already played 007 GoldenEye for the N64. And the reason I make this point clear is because the Spy Fox game referenced GoldenEye. It was specifically referencing the movie, but it began out where Spy Fox is on a dam, Bungie jumps off the dam, goes into a facility, and starts out in a bathroom of the facility where there are some, like, bad guys who look like Russian, like, soldiers. And I was like, I remember playing this demo and being like, oh, this is from GoldenEye, which as a child, I Probably should have been already making that association, but I knew what Goldeneye was, so I could figure it out. Um, but that was just another fun, fun memory, being able to catch that reference. And I think Spy Fox not only was cooler, but he also tended to be a bit more adult. I think the games were intended for a little older audience than uh, the Putt-Putt games were. But he was definitely cooler. Um, he was cooler. In order to talk about Humongous Entertainment and the games, um, I think we need to talk a little bit about Scum itself. Humongous Entertainment and LucasArts are they both use scum and it's a weird word to say but it is a a pretty popular game engine or was a pretty popular game engine and friends of our podcast who really enjoy like maniac mansion and the uh, monkey island games would be very familiar with scum as well since they're the same engine that these humongous games were done in and the reason is it all stems back to Ron Gilbert, who was an employee over at Lucasfilms, which eventually became LucasArts, helped create Scum, and then he left and founded Humongous Entertainment, taking his knowledge of Scum with him to be able to make games that were um, edutainment to begin with. So now, Ron Gilbert is an an important person and we're going to get back to him again when we talk more about the humongous entertainment as a game as a company but scum actually stands for script creation utility for maniac mansion so it was specifically developed for lucasarts maniac mansion and it's kind of a weird hybrid of being a game engine as well as a programming language 
where it allowed designers to create uh, places and items and dialogue sequences without writing the code in the language in which the game source code ends up in, which allowed the game script and the data files to actually be able to be used across various platforms. It also, Scum itself, could, it did host embedded game engines. So Scum was like simultaneously an engine and a box. And like in the box, it had tools. It was kind of like a, a kind of like the creation kit that Bethesda did. The little more, I don't I want to say basic. It was it was based on a on kind of like a mainframe development. It worked on a verb to object design paradigm. So the 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 engine understood that you had inventory and there were objects in the world, and you could interact with these objects objects with your verbs so you would get uh various verbs throughout the game such as pushing and pulling and the game would kind of hash out what you were doing based on okay so you clicked pull on this rope so it knows character pull to rope and it would know whether or not that is a successful verb to be used on that action so the puzzles were generally trying to use the right verb action with the appropriate object or uh, combining inventory with verb with object. So you could say like take knife and cut rope or you could use something like push stairs and then once the stairs moved you could then use them to go up to the next scene transition or to go up into the stage. It was a very versatile system and one of the more common verbs was talk to which then created dialogues which then you would be able to then move into a kind of a predefined questions and comments and have like a dialogue tree Uh, the dialogue trees i would say could be i would say mostly linear but i think they allowed for the depth i feel like the games were deeper because of being able to have such a a dialogue system in place and then um there is a a break from the paradigm of scum um, that's a game called Loom that LucasArts created, where instead of having the verb-object interface, it was done with uh, bells played on an instrument. Oh, okay. And then the uh, the Humongous Entertainment games, which were not LucasArts, they had more of an inventory-driven system instead right. of having um, like a push-pull. They didn't have any verb dialogue at all not that i remember it's been a little bit of time since i played uh a humongous game but i i actually probably played through fatty bear maybe like a year ago and uh my recollection is that it's only um inventory based okay it's a great system and if you like uh the old school lucas arts uh adventure games and all and all these humongous games um they were all done in scum and you can actually get scum as like a an emulator yeah, Scum VM. It's Scum VM, which is like a virtual machine for Scum, mm-hmm. and you can just gra- you can just play Scum games available. Many of them are abandoned, and and they should work with the original CDs and such. I mean, if you can just get the files off of an old CD, or if you have a floppy drive interface for your computer, you should be able to 
pull some old games. I know I was able to pull off um, Mixed Up Mother Goose, which was a game that we used to play, and it was done in yep. the Scum Engine. So I was able to pull that off from an original disc. Do you want to give us a little bit on the history of uh, Humongous? So Humongous was founded in 1992 by Ron Gilbert and uh, a co-worker of his, Shelley Day. Um, at the time, they were based in Woodenville, Washington. And as Seth mentioned, Ron had previously worked on games like Maniac Mansion and the first two Monkey Island games. Shelley Day... Uh, began her career at Electronic Arts and later worked at Accolade, Taito, and then finally um, at LucasArts before she went on to work at Humongous. And the name Humongous Games actually came from a suggestion by another LucasArts employee, Tim Schaefer, who people might know from Double Fine Games. He was the founder of Double Fine in 2000. Schaefer also is best known for his work on Full Throttle, Grim Fandango, Psychonauts, Brutal Legend, Broken Age... He worked on Day of the Tentacle, and he also worked with Ron Gilbert on The Secret of Monkey Island and Monkey Island 2. Humongous was specialized as a edutainment game company. And what edutainment means is it's it's a term that, uh, it's kind of like a buzzword that a lot of um, us game criti- critics and such talk about. And, uh, or no, we're not critics, we game people talk about. Uh, and edutainment essentially just means, as the name implies, it's a combination of education and entertainment. Um, and that was the idea. Humongous was going to be games that were educational for kids, but also still fun. They weren't going to be like math games or anything like that. They were going to be games that taught you something, but they had a an element of entertainment to them. Along with Humongous Entertainment, Ron Gilbert and Shelley Day also created a subdivision known as Cave Dog Entertainment, which released some other games as alternative genres, such as a real-time strategy game called Total Annihilation, which, as the name implies, is probably not intended for children. Overall, the history of Humongous was they they created these these IPs. They created Putt-Putt, they created Pajama Sam, Spy Fox, Freddy Fish, uh, they created one Fatty Bear game, <laughs> they uh, worked on the Backyard uh, series of sports titles, which um, had been ported over to a whole bunch of different systems. Backyard Baseball, I know, is a really popular one. Uh, they created some games um, under the Blues Clues IP, and they also created a series of games called the Junior Field Trip, where they kind of utilized the Scum Engine to take you to locations such as the airport or other the farm or the jungle uh which they were kind of like almost like interactive books you were just uh learning about how those places either function or what happens in them so in uh 1996 the company was purchased by gt interactive and it was then acquired by infograms and in 2000 uh shelly day and ron gilbert attempted to buy back the company however it was the day of the dot-com crash so a lot of people lost money and their funding was unfortunately pulled for their project and buying it back in 2003 infograms purchased hasbro interactive and worked on re-releasing some of the humongous games using the atari brand uh which hasbro interactive had the license to um, and they re-released some of the games on the Wii with a company called Majesco. And the, the Wii was interesting to port these games over to because it could use the Wiimote as the cursor. In 2009, uh, as part of some resolution proceedings due to a legal conflict, the Humongous brand was then transferred to a company called uh, Tamo. And Backyard Sports was transferred to the Evergreen Group. And Moonbase Commander, which was another game by Humongous, was transferred to Rebellion Developments. Tomo then began working with Night Dive Studios to start re-releasing these games on modern systems. 
which to this day, the humongous games are available via Steam and other digital distribution channels, uh, such as GOG, and uh, I believe they're on uh, a couple other digital distribution channels, but they're, they're modern ports of the game, so you don't need to have any special software or anything to run them. Uh, but as Seth mentioned, if you want to play your original copies of Putt-Putt or Pajama Sam, you can load up a Scum VM emulator, um, load in the CD, and you should be able to play the game right off the CD, I'm, I'm fairly certain. So yeah, that's pretty much the, the basic history of humongous, uh, humongous Games. A kind of short history for the amount of games they made. I mean, uh, they made a lot of games under their different licenses, but in total they made over 50 games in the course of only a few years, from 1992 to 2001, really, was their, their peak. And that's not counting re-releases of their games. So uh, I, I think that's a pretty impressive history of, of, of a game company that only lasted for so long. Yeah. Uh, so that's yeah, so that's, that's humongous, humongus games that's that's the histories of humongous games so we we talked about putt putt and his 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 many adventures he had was his 11 one to uh he had 12 he has a lot of adventures which uh they he does everything from joining a parade to entering the race and time traveling in between by joining parade i do want to clarify that in that game their their version of a parade is you had to have a balloon tied to the back of yourself because these are all car people and you had to have a pet so their parade is just pretty much a line of people holding balloons with pets going down a street that's when he finds pep though isn't it that is where he finds pep he finds pep inside of a a cave i think yeah and then pep stays with him there's continuity in the game there is continuity pep pep is a puppy for the whole time also weird thing about putt putt is that he is a, a a child I assume by his voice and the fact that everyone kind of treats him as such, but he lives alone. And it is known that at least in Putt Putt joins the parade, there are parent cars because there's one little short side quest, you could call it, where Putt Putt has to find a child who is lost in a movie theater and bring the child back to the, the mom car. So my question is, where are Putt Putt's parents? Or does Putt Putt just live alone as a child and no one in car town cares about this? I... I think Putt-Putt's probably, like, just a young guy. Putt-Putt's, like, in his mid-30s. He just has a, <laughs> a falsetto voice. Just, yeah. yeah um, it's possible. You have to you have to see see how old Jason Elfers, Elfson was uh, when he was recording the voice for Putt-Putt back in 92. Uh, I'll, I'll I, do that research. <laughs> uh, interesting fact. I know you will. An interesting fact is uh, Putt-Putt sold over 300,000 copies of the game of him joining the parade and the combined sales of joins the parade goes to the moon and saves the zoo classically referred to as the pup up trilogy <laughs> sold they s- surpassed over 1 million units sold wow. by june of 97 nice and we had one of those million it scored some great reviews at game rankings with a 50 percent and adventure gamers gave it a two and a half stars nice but ign gave them an 8.2 out of 10 ign's a positive company they 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 understand what they're going they understood the vision of putt-putt and what putt-putt meant (laughs) and that's why they gave it such a good rating when they created the demo of the game uh, it was uploaded to CompuServe. And it took some time before a single user downloaded the game. But then that user gave a lengthy review 
which gave it a steady increase in audience. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, right after Putt-Putt joins the parade, they released the Fatty Bear game, the only Fatty Bear adventure game, Fatty Bear's Birthday Surprise, which is not as exciting as any of the Putt-Putt games or any of the Pajama Sam games or any of the other humongous games. Fatty Bear's Birthday Surprise is about a stuffed animal fatty bear who decides to bake a cake. And that's the story right there that's a great that's a great story he decides to bake a cake for his uh owner i guess he lives with a child uh, who has who, whose parents are there um unlike my butt uh <laughs> and uh fatty bear like wakes up one night and it's the child's birthday and he's like i gotta go make a cake and he goes makes to <laughs> makes the cake that's his voice he's like i gotta go do this i'm fatty bear but yeah uh we also had the pajama sam games um those came out a little later we didn't have any of the Freddy Fish games. Um, we didn't have any of the backyard sports either. I think I played backyard baseball at someone's house, and I did not realize it was a humongous game until, like, I noticed the cursor looked identical to the kind of cursor, like it's this like bubble shape um, cursor that they use. There, uh, there was a a fun issue with the uh, since so Papa joining the parade was their first game that they did uh there was a fun issue where they did want so they were it was published and developed by humongous entertainment humongous entertainment wanted electronic arts to publish the game but um when they went to go publish the game with electronic arts lucas arts sued them for using the scum engine and they got into a disagreement about who owned what so then they went and self-published. That was so. There was. There's always lost. Even even with the sweetest of childhood games, there's always lawsuits, lawsuits buried yeah. under there. Yeah. Uh, uh, Humongous Entertainment also uh, was able to do the Blues Clues license. Yes. Where they released six games under the Blues Clues franchise from 1998 to 2000. Uh, They also had a game called Moonbase Commander, where it was an RTS where you played as a a commander of Moonbases. As you do. Was not as violent as a Total Annihilation, so it was published under the Humongous Entertainment. I I, I would say that... uh... Moonbase Commander has a kind of a nicer tone to it than Total Annihilation. <laughs> so I think that's going to be what we've got for Humongous Entertainment. I yeah. I definitely feel like there is probably some stuff to talk about specifically in these games themselves. Like, I think we say it a lot. Perhaps a future episode, we may just talk about Putt-Putt the entire time. Who knows? Yeah, we might do a deep dive and Putt-Putt goes to the moon. And the episode will be longer than the actual gameplay. Yes, yeah. I could probably do a, like, I don't know, hour and a half Let's Play of, like, the first three Putt-Putt games and probably be finished with them with enough time to kill. Well, so with that, what's, um, we're going to move on over to Zach. What are you exciting, uh, excited about buying, waiting, or passing on? So the game that I am buying, waiting, or passing on is Rogue Legacy 2, which is the sequel to Rogue Legacy, as the name implies. Uh, Rogue Legacy was a action-adventure kind of RPG game. It has some RPG elements to it, created by Cellar Door Games a few years ago. Rogue Legacy 2 is the sequel. Uh, Rogue Legacy, for anyone who's never played it, is described as a genealogical roguelite game. Um, so it's roguelite in the sense that the levels are all procedurally, procedural generated. Uh, also, when your character dies, you're you're dead. However, the kind of uh, gimmick to Rogue Legacy is that your descendant is the uh, person who takes up the mantle as the hero in the 
next life essentially so instead of being reborn as a as an extra life your descendant takes over um and they have to tackle a new a new castle the cool thing is that the uh characters um will have different genealogical traits to them so if you were uh and i think if i remember this correctly if your character did a lot of jumping in one life then one of your descendants might have a higher jump ability because you passed on that gene so there's there's that that goes with it oh it's like a volva <laughs> it's a volva so rogue legacy 2 looks to be more of the same as they as they're describing it they, they actually describe the game as rogue legacy 2 is what you get if you mashed rogue legacy and a sequel together and uh, they they looks to be more of the same i actually wasn't super impressed by the first rogue legacy it was fun but i didn't play a lot of it i don't mind roguelikes or roguelites i don't know something about something about it i just i wasn't really that into so i think i'm gonna pass on rogue legacy 2 but it does look like a fun game uh for anyone who's interested in that type of game if uh if anyone liked the first rogue legacy or is uh, up to give this new one a try i i would recommend it in that regards um i'm gonna pass on it personally the planned release date is summer of 2020 and that's right around the corner so uh they don't have an exact date but be on the lookout for it so for my byway pass i'm actually going to be talking about a game that came out many years ago but is coming out again Ooh. Uh, back in 1991 a great game called sunset riders was released in the arcades and eventually was ported to the mega drive and genesis in 92 and 93 respectively uh, uh mega drive and the genesis the mega drive and the snes <laughs> in 92 and 93 uh, the Mega Drive and the Genesis, those are one and the same. Um, but in June 11th, 2020, it'll be coming back to Nintendo as it's coming to the Switch. Well, definitely and won't be coming back to Sega. No, unfortunately not. Except in Japan. Sega's releasing some sort of... There's some sort of console that's going to be released oh. in Japan that's going to be labeled to Sega. Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah, you, we'll have to look into it deeper, but... Yeah, so, yeah, it's coming in June 11th, 2020, uh, is Sunset Riders. It is a game where you play... So, if you're not familiar with the Sunset Riders arcade game, it is a side-scrolling shooter that takes place in the Wild West, where you play as very bright cowboys. They are, like, hot pink, hot, like, like hot yellow. I don't know, is hot yellow a color? It's, like, bright yellow, bright blue, bright pink, and bright purple, I think are the color schemes they each have their own different type of shooter so one one's got like a pistol one's got like a shotgun and you have to go through and it's kind of side scroller it's kind of like a beat-em-up but with shooting instead of punching and there's like power-ups and there's all sorts of fun stuff to grab it's a game that like I erased from my memory and then saw the article, saw the the colors and all the memories of Sunset Riders just came back and I was so happy that it existed that I will probably buy it or have already bought it, but uh I I just I like arcade games. I like specifically side scrolling shooters and beat-em-ups i i think that's a those are fun games to play i could always use another game on my switch i may just get it also on a mame because why not but yeah sunset riders is my byway pass nice well that is uh a, a buy and you're gonna buy cool awesome well hey 
that sounds good and that's uh that's gonna do it for this episode i think of classic yeah. gaming brothers right the 29th episode the 29th episode 29 so we'll be moving on to episode 30 which we've planned nothing special for or we planned something incredibly special for it's true it's true we're in a, a weird time podcast space where we don't know what's in, we don't know what's forward and we don't know what's behind us no eh, to be fair i never do yeah that's true um so there's a, a number of ways that you can contact us support us and listen to us and i will tell you them tell me about them i haven't heard my voice go on long enough uh so you can contact us by sending us an email at classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com you can also go to our website which is classicgamingbrothers.com and you can send us a, a form through our contact us page on that website those both will go to our emails where i will most likely respond to you and zachary will most likely read it and if you do send us an email with feedback or thoughts about the episode or uh, desires for an episode or whatever uh, you'll be entered into a drawing where we will give you uh, some game from our list of games that we have and we have a decent collection of 300 plus steam games and um or definitely pc games we might have some origin ones in there but anyway we digress if you send us feedback through an email we will put you in a drawing and we will draw it when who knows sometime in the future uh we just did one recently so like two weeks ago a week ago yeah we we did Uh, one not too long ago two weeks ago yeah so and the, the time before that was probably 10 weeks ago so yeah, we're consistent with these yeah we're consistently very slow so but if you want us to draw it sooner you just let us know so that's how you contact us you can also hit us up on social media you can send us a message but if you want to be entered into our drawing you must send us an email to be able to support us uh you can go to our f- social media pages our facebook at classic gaming brothers our instagram at classic gaming brothers our twitter at CG Brothers Pod, and you could su- you could support us there by liking, subscribing, and sharing any of our content. We like to release content. Uh, currently, well, we did like release information regarding uh, sales. There was an itch.io sale that went on that was being raised for social justice and all that. We release when there's usually big sales on Steam and stuff. So always, you know, follow us there. Uh, like, subscribe, share our content. We'll also, also, of course, release when our episodes drop. We'll also release information when we stream, uh, which you can watch us play games at twitch.tv slash Classic Gaming Brothers or Zachary's View vs classic gaming brothers doing so you can watch us play games sometimes we play fun new games sometimes we play fun old games uh sometimes we play unfun games but um, we play all sorts of games so feel free to watch us there we stream very sporadically though like there is no rhyme or reason to when we stream but when we do we will be on then so that's contacting us supporting us to listen to us just open up any podcast listening app you can go on down whatever podcast listening app podcast app to listen to us you just pick that app and find us and there will be 
And that's how you listen to us. We're on a number of different podcasting agents, and you just find us there. If we're not there and you want us to be, just let us know, and we'll get us on there. Um, we'll get us on there. So that's it. That's pretty much how the things to do. We're always we we love making the show. It's uh, the highlight of our week. Is, well, we sacks, and <laughs> we we really enjoy. Um, being able to produce this content, I hope we, I hope and Zach hopes that you enjoy listening to us. If there is things that you want us to do specifically, let us know. If um, there's other stuff you want us to look into, uh, let us know. Uh, we did do our Indie Dev Lounge episodes. Um, we'll probably be doing some more of those in the future. But we definitely uh, like to always keep some ideas going. So. Yeah, and uh, you know. Uh, if you don't like listening to us, you've made it this far, so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> can't really turn back now. <laughs> Thank you for listening, and um, always remember to tell three friends about our episodes. Just not four three friends, not four, not two, just three. Because three, three people. Because a person who enjoys an episode, someone who enjoys something, tells three people. Someone who hates something tells much, much more. <laughs> So if you you always tell three people, that means you enjoyed you listening, which we hope you did because we we strive to make uh, content for you to listen to. We we strive to make content that is for three people. For just, which means you liked it. Yeah, exactly. So with that, Zach, is there uh, anything you'd like to add? Don't play games like my brother. And don't play games like my brother. I've been Zach. I've been Seth. <laughs> and we've been the classic gaming brothers. Yeah, that's right. That's did right. You, did you almost say that you've been Seth? <laughs> no, not this time. <laughs> oh, good. I was, Hi, I was thinking, I'm Pop Pop! <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking in my head, like, what to say at the end, but you apparently just took that thunder with uh, the Putt Putt there. <laughs> I Pup-Putt saves, saves, yeah. saves the zoo. Putt Putt saves the zoo. Puppet saves the zoo. I don't think we'll ever be able to top you doing the doom close out with your. Uh, mouth. I don't think so. I don't think so either.